If you go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you have one, or an iPhone or iPad, however you access the Scriptures, and make your way to Joshua chapter 3, which is uh, towards the beginning of the Old Testament. We're going to walk our way through that chapter this morning, just to kind of remind you or catch you up to speed on on the journey that we're at. As a church, we are, as you've heard, uh, we are moving from this location to our new location over on Runway. Yes, that's coming. There's five people who are excited. And... uh, as we're making that transition, there's, there's a lot of change that is going on, and it's not just about a new uh, address, and many of you know we were walking through the process of a new identity and name change, and so there's a lot of change and a lot of transition, and because of that, as we've walked through the month of May, we are walking through what we're calling a season of consecration, where we are, uh, what really, what consecration is, it's setting ourselves aside for God's purpose to be worked out in our lives in preparation for what He wants to do, and so Throughout this month, uh, many of you are, are fasting. We're fasting together to, to give time and space for God to speak to us, for us to get clarity as we're moving forward. And so as we're walking through the, that month, we're, we're also walking through the first nine chapters of Joshua to glean from the experience that Israel walked through when God transitioned them from wandering for 40 years in the, in the wilderness to a place where they got into the promised land that God had, was giving to them. And so what are the things that they learned and what are the things that they went through that we can glean? We know that moving to runway and embracing a name, new name are not the promised land, okay? We know, but we can learn from the change and the transition that Israel walked through. And so we're walking through this, and this morning uh, we're going to take some time to talk about the, the, the concept of preparing in preparation for what God wants to do tomorrow in our lives, and, and realizing that so much of what God does, he, he starts long before it ever kind of breaks the surface, before it ever reaches that point where we say, wow, look at what God's doing. He starts a process that requires our preparation, our being ready for what he wants to do. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage, how Israel prepared themselves for what God was going to do. In fact, in verse 5 of chapter 3, uh, Joshua actually says to the people, he says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. He was saying to them, listen, you, you need to be ready for what God wants to do, but that readiness, that preparedness starts right now. It starts right now where you're at. And so for our future together as a church family, as we follow Jesus individually, there are things that, that God wants to do in us that we have to be ready for, we have to be prepared for, or we do risk the, the, the threat of actually missing what God's trying to do in us because we weren't ready, we weren't prepared. Um, it's kind of like the process of moving. Obviously, we're moving buildings, so there's a lot. In fact, the staff will tell you that, that, is, that, that the church normally is very chaotic during this time, and it is. All kind of stuff going on, change, transition, lots of preparation, trying to time things out when we make the move and, and all those things. But I know at a personal level, anybody ever experienced moving? I think all of us have once or twice in our life. Since Kim and I have been married, we've tallied up, we have moved ten times. Ten different times. I know. Oh, yeah, exactly. Our kids are tired of it. And, uh, and, and in, that, in that process of moving, you learn a few things. You learn about the importance of preparation. And that means that when you move, there are things that have to happen before you actually move. Nobody, well, nobody in their right mind, wakes up one morning and says, I think I'll move today. And you roll out of bed and you start packing. You think, yeah, by the end of the day, I'll be moved. It just it doesn't work because you have to start planning beforehand. And so I know for, for Kim and I, my wife, if you, if you haven't met my wife, one of the things you'll know about her is that she is extremely organized. And so when it comes to moving, one of the things that we did, our moving process usually takes about a month. And building up to that month, we're taking things down off the walls, we're packing things in boxes. And then the week before the move, all the things in boxes kind of get transitioned through cars or pickup trucks and just kind of doing quickly on our own. And then we actually get to the moving day. The actual physical move from one location to the other usually lasts about an hour and a half. That's it. Because by the time we get to the day we're going to actually move, all that's left is the big stuff that requires more than one or two people that you have to, like, you know, pull out of bedrooms and beds and couches and all that kind of stuff. And then we move that over. But people who've moved in the past, they know that if they come and work for an hour and a half, they either get donuts on one end and pizza on the other. So it's always a good deal. But that move started way before we got to the move date. We started preparing weeks and if not a month at least ahead of time so that when we got there, we were ready for the move. The same thing is true spiritually that you and I have to understand there's things that God is doing in us right now in preparation for what he wants to do tomorrow. And if we don't take the time to prepare now, we will not be ready for what he wants to do tomorrow. 
And so we're going to look at, at Joshua chapter 3 this morning. We're going to walk through kind of a few verses at a time and look at what Israel walked through in their preparation. They're just about to cross over the Jordan River into the land God's giving them. And before they get there, there's some things that happen leading up to that that I think you and I can glean from that applies to our life today. So things that you and I need to do to be prepared for what God wants to do in us tomorrow. So look at verses 1 and 2. The first thing that you and I have to do, which is counterintuitive, is pause before advancing, which seems so backwards. So look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. Now, take ourselves back to this this scenario. You've just been in the desert for at least 40 years, if not a few years longer than that. You know that there's this thing called the promised land that's out there. After 40 years, do you think you'd just be maybe a little bit antsy to get there? I think I would. You know, it's like it gives a whole new meaning to the whole concept. Are we there yet? I mean, really. But you get to the, to the, the border of what you're going to enter into that God's been promising you, and you're almost there, and then what does Joshua do? They wait for three days. They hit the pause button. You're like, well, wait a second. Why don't you just keep moving forward? I mean, it's been 40 years. You've waited long enough. Now just advance. But what Joshua was doing is there needed to be a pause for the people to be ready for what was about to happen. And I think that is one of the greatest challenges that you and I have in understanding the way that God works in our life is so many times we assume that we know what the next step is. We assume that we understand how God's working. Therefore, I don't really need to pause. I don't really need to think. I don't really pray about this because I already know what God's doing. And pausing is not something that we do eternally because sometimes we use it as an excuse. But pausing is what we're doing in this month. That's what consecration is. It's setting myself aside. It's creating time in my schedule to actually let God speak to me above the fray and the busyness of life. So that I can hear him. It's taking time away. It's something that Jesus, the God of the universe and human flesh, did all the time. He extracted himself from what was going on in him so he could hear from the Father. So he knew what he was going through and he knew what was next and he could follow what God was doing. And the same thing is true for you and I. That we have to think through in our lives and kind of gathering ourselves to moments where I'm just going to pause. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to allow God to speak. Sometimes that's hard for us. Even when the, the first church got started back 2,000 year years ago in the book of Acts, anybody remember Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. And they're like, okay, we're ready to go. And then what does he say? Wait. He said, you're not ready yet. You need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And it was in that waiting that God sends his spirit and births the church. The same thing is true for us, and it's so important that sometimes you and I miss what God's doing because we didn't bother to pause in the process to listen to what he's saying. And I've shared this before, but when Kim and I were dating and we got to a little over a year of dating, for me, I needed to know, is she the one? Now, I loved her and she loved me and, and things were going along well, but I knew at that moment I had to, we were, as we were progressing, it's like my heart's really engaging here and if we get a little bit further, I'm going to reach the point of no return and I need to hear from God that she's the one before we move forward. Isn't that romantic? I know it has, it's not even close to being romantic. It's very spiritual, but it's not romantic. So I, I had this thought, and I thought, well, we need to take a break. And so I remember Kim and I were out on a date, and, and in fact, it, we went to the, um, it was the Huntington Library, and uh, we never have gone back there again because it was the worst date of our dating relationship because I was processing through, like, what is God saying? Do we need to break up? And, you know, and, and I'm not telling her yet, and so there's all these emotions going on behind the scenes. And, and then it was like a couple days after that, Saturday, and I said, listen, I said, we need to hit, take a break. And she looked at me, and she goes, What? I said, we need to like break up for like three weeks. She's like, why? I said, because I have to hear from the Lord. She says, why can't you just listen right now? You know, I said, well, I need some space and I just need to pray. I need to process it because I need to hear clearly before we move forward in a relationship what God is saying. So she wasn't very happy, happy with me at the moment. And so, so I said, okay. So that was like a Thursday or Friday. And then the weekend comes and I got some extended time where I was just on my face before the Lord. I was praying and saying, God, I need to know. I need to know, is, is Kim the one? And God made it very clear in my prayer time that it was definitely she's the one. And it was almost kind of like, hello, yeah, move forward now. She's the one. So we get back to the next time I see her is we were in college together. So we had a class together and I was sitting next to her in one of our classes. That's the first time I've seen her since we broke up. So it's been like three, four days max. And I sit down and I said, hey, good news. I said, I heard from the Lord over the weekend. I said, we can get back together. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, no, we can't. I said, yeah, I heard from the Lord. And she goes, no, you said three weeks. And you're going to wait three weeks. 
our schedules were so intertwined, we were constantly crossing paths for three weeks. And nope, not going to talk to you. Nope, not going to pay attention to you. Nope, you said three weeks. And she held me to the letter of the law. Next time I realized that it doesn't take God three weeks to speak, it takes him three days to speak, and so I'll speed up the process. But I'll, going back, you know, I, I can laugh, we can laugh about that, but I know those few days where I really got some time, that was very important for me because I listened, was able to listen beyond my emotion and beyond everything that was going on. God, is this what you're saying is for my life? Because second to following Jesus, the person you marry is the most important decision in your life, by far. And I knew I needed to know before I went forward, is she the one? And I'm so glad that God got my attention because he has confirmed throughout our marriage that she is the one. But it came because I paused. Now, some of us, we find it impossible to pause, but God's saying, if you want to really know what I'm doing, then you need to, as Israel, they took three days to gather themselves to prepare for what God was doing. You and I should be able to take, wow, three days. There's something about three days. Maybe it's not three weeks. It's always three days. But anyway, so second thing moving forward and, and preparing for tomorrow is that you and I need to learn to expect the unfamiliar. So they're, they're waiting for three days, and then in verse 3, <clears throat> going to verse 3 and verse 4, giving orders to the people, it says, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the Levitical priests carrying it out, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So the, the people, Israel's getting this instruction that as you move forward, this is how it's going to roll out. We'll talk about the ark of the covenant in a moment. But the priests are going to move out and the ark's going to move and then you're going to get ready to go. But you need to understand as God leads us, he will lead us to a place that we have yet not been. We haven't gone there. We haven't gone this way. It's not familiar it's not something that we know. It's something unknown and unexpected and unfamiliar. That's extremely important because I know in, in my following Jesus, I've discovered that not always, but many times as God leads me forward in my life, he leads me to places that are completely unexpected and unfamiliar. And I don't know about you, but I, I live kind of in this, this tension. Almost, sometimes you almost feel like you're schizophrenic, but, but this tension that I like routine, and I like comfort, and I like familiarity, and I like, what, you know, what I'm going to expect next, and <clears throat> kind of like consistency. Anybody like that? Want to admit to that? But then there's this other side of me. After a while, that's just boring. There's no change. It's not different. I know what's coming next. It's like, there's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing dangerous about it. There's nothing like, it's not grabbing you anymore. And so there's that other side of me. It's like, let's go. What, what, what's the unknown? What's the unexpected? What's coming next? And that's, that's the, the part that God wants to draw out of all of us in this expectation for, for Israel's sake. He's saying, listen, you haven't gone this way before. And that's important. They were there 40 years earlier. Remember, they sent 12 spies in and two of them came back and said, God's in this, we can go. And 10 of them said, we can't. So it was somewhat familiar, but what Joshua's saying is, listen, you need to follow because you're going to be going a way that you didn't go before. This is not something you're going to know. It's going to be totally unfamiliar to you. And that's important for you and I, and especially for us as a church, where God is leading us is he's not leading us back. He's not retooling our history. He's not doing a do-over so we can just repeat things from the past. He's leading us to places and things that we have yet to experience in following him. He's leading us to something that is unfamiliar, unexpected. And for me, that is absolutely exciting. I don't want him to lead us backwards. I want him to lead us forward into places that we haven't been in our own walk with him. And for some of us, that means there's things in our life that it's time for you to let go of the familiar and the comfortable and the easy and what you know and the routine because you've been so afraid to let go of that. God has so much more that he wants to do, but it means that you and I have to embrace what's unfamiliar. It's exciting when we embrace, embrace what's familiar because you don't know what's going to happen and you get surprised by what God wants to do because he always goes beyond what you and I define for him. He always blows through our agenda. He always does what he wants to do, which is always better than what we want him to do. When we moved to Oregon about 10 years ago, we knew obviously that California and Oregon are very different. But more than just the fact that it literally does rain all the time in Oregon, that was kind of the mindset that we came into when we first moved there. It was like, okay, it's always green, which it is. It's beautiful because it rains all the time. Now, one of the things that we did not know going there is a couple things. One of them was that in the greater Portland area, it actually snows. 
like real white snow that you don't have to drive to the mountain to see. It actually falls in your front yard. About maybe two, sometimes three times a year, and, and usually once a year it's, it's enough that it maybe sticks for a few days, so it's like legitimate snow. We didn't know that. And so it was about, I don't know, maybe the first month we were there, and so one morning we were up and getting ready for the day, and the kids were just kind of almost getting out of bed, and Kim and I were downstairs, and, and all of a sudden I'm in the bathroom, she's in her bedroom, and I hear her scream. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. So I go running out of the bathroom. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she kind of screams again. Kim's not a screamer. She just doesn't do that. And she goes, she, she, she's looking out the window from our bedroom out into the backyard. And she goes, it's snowing. And I'm standing there and I couldn't quite see through, clearly through the window. I'm like, no, it's not. It doesn't snow up here in Portland. It snows up in the mountains. But she's like, no, it's snowing. And I walked over to the window and sure enough, it was snowing. And we were like, we we're like dancing around the room. We run upstairs, literally pull Courtney and Jordan right out of bed. They're still in their PJs. We run out at six in the morning and we're out in front. This is the funny part. Everybody in the neighborhood knew we were from California right away. <laughs> They're seriously, we're like, what in the world are they doing? So like the kids are barefoot. You know, we're running around. We're throwing snow at each other. Like, this is awesome. This was, it was so much fun. Why? Because it was completely unexpected. And then there's the other side that was unexpected, and that is what's crazy, since, since Oregon is further north than most of California, obviously, that, that the sun actually sets later in the summertime. And it's really cool. When the first summer we were there, especially when you get to May and into June, the sun actually goes down at like 10 o'clock. It's awesome. Literally, you can be outside your house at 9.30, and it's still light. And so we didn't realize that. And so the first summer we're kind of transitioning to, I remember one night uh, we were doing stuff around the house and, and Kim looked at me and said, you know, we probably should like make dinner and we should eat. And we're like, yeah, we should do that. And we were thinking, oh, it's probably 5.30 or 6. We looked at the clock, it was 8.30 or 9. And we're like, what? What in the world's going on? And then we learned that every summer, because the, the sun goes down at 4 o'clock in the winter, you get to make up for it in the summer because it goes down at 10 o'clock in the summer. It was awesome. Those were wonderful experiences of encountering things that we didn't even know that were totally unfamiliar. And honestly, I miss, I miss that about Oregon. I miss the fact, you know, the last time, when was the last time it snowed in Simi Valley? Like, never, right? And when was the last time the sun was out in Simi Valley till 10 o'clock? Like, never, I miss those things, and those were things we didn't even expect. On a much grander scale, can you imagine the God of the universe who has the best intentions for our life in mind as he moves us forward through difficult seasons and transition of what he has in store for us that is totally unfamiliar and totally unexpected that goes way beyond our anticipation? I'm excited about what God wants to do, but you and I have to walk into the future expecting Not the same old, same old, not the same routine, not what's easy and comfortable or familiar, but what's totally unexpected because God is bigger than our expectations. God is greater than our agendas. And we have to surrender those to him as Israel was willing to do as they prepared for this. They were going away a a path they had never taken before and that had to stir excitement in them. Third thing of preparing for tomorrow is that you and I have to always remember that God is with us. God has always been with us as followers of Jesus, as a church family. He's present with us now, and he will be with us in the future. Look at verses 6 through 8 for Israel's journey. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them, and the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go straight in the water or into the river. So here's what's so important. So Israel marked the presence of God through this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. So it was this Ark that represented God's presence was with them. So everywhere that they went, they would march out with the Ark leading them as a sign to them and even to their enemies that God was with them. So when Joshua is saying, listen, watch, the ark's going to go out first, and that's going to be a reminder to all of us. Who's with us? God is with us. And so as we move forward into this uncharted territory, this unfamiliar area, this unexpected place, God goes with us. God goes before us. God is with us wherever we go. Now, that is extremely important for you and I because when we, when we move into things that are undefined and a little bit scary and a little bit risky and a little bit dangerous, you and I always have this fear that somehow God's not going to be there. God's not going to show up. He's not going to be present for us. In fact, usually the way it works is when it's easy and comfortable and we feel blessed and it's familiar, then we say, wow, God is a good God. But when it's dangerous and painful and difficult and a little scary, we're like, God, where'd you go? 
It's kind of the way we function. God is always present. God was leading Israel into the unknown. And the same thing is true for us. He's leading us forward into the unknown, but he's wanting us to do that with confidence to know he is with us. Not because we've done anything great, not because he wants to give us a little gold star by our name, not because of anything about us. It's because God is faithful to his people, and he always has been. And throughout Scripture, we're reminded time and time again, he is always with us. And the, the beauty of God's presence is that God doesn't live at an address. God doesn't live at 2350 Shasta. He doesn't live at 4555 Runway. He lives where? Inside our hearts. By his spirit that he has deposited in us when we said yes to following him. So wherever we go, his presence is there. Listen to Psalm, uh, in Psalm 30, uh, 139, the psalmist writes this to remind us of God's presence. He says, I'm an open book to you, even from a distance. You know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and there, you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. God is present. God is with us. God is, where we are. God is already going to be where we are headed long before we ever get there. God is anticipating our future. God knows that. God is leading us where he wants us to go. Therefore, he is present. And when he is present, that means he will always show up in places that you don't expect him to be. Because you're making the assumption that somehow he's not there, but he is. I ran ran a half marathon a number of years ago up in Portland. And that was one of the coolest experiences because when you get to run in a city and all the streets are blocked off, you don't have to worry about cars. It's just a cool experience. And so um, I had done training and prepared for that and and uh, so Kim uh, came with the kids, and they were going to watch me run. And, and uh, it's 13 miles, so it's a relatively long course. You don't just stay in one place. And so the day before, we drove into Portland, and we were driving around mapping out the route that the, the race was going to take. And so there are certain places along, along the, the route that she would say, okay, well, I can, I can, we can get there, and we can see you there. And so all these kind of marked throughout out kind of the, the route. And so so uh, started off at 7 o'clock. It's like 40 degrees in Portland, which is a nice Portland morning. It's cold um, and we're running. And so it was about like mile, one and a half, mile two, right in that range that I know was kind of the first place where there's this long straightaway. And so I turn the corner and I'm looking. And it's funny because uh, for some reason, people come out for the marathon, but the half marathon, that's not exciting in Portland. So, so I'm looking down this stretch and I see there's Kim, Courtney, and Jordan. They're standing right there, like right next to the, to the route, you know. So I'm running like, oh, good. I'm actually warming up after two miles. I'm starting to sweat. I got to take this jacket off. So I wave at them and they're there and I just throw my jacket to them and I'm running. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm just focusing on my pace and everything. And, and, uh, and so then, then, then as soon as I pass, Kim and the kids go run back to the car. And then they're off to the next thing. Now there's a problem when, when in Portland, just like in any city, like in LA, when they run a marathon or half marathon, they have to block off tons of streets. So Kim's trying to navigate how to get to the next point of where she's going to, the kids are going to see me in, in the race. And so she's driving all over Portland. I have no idea. I'm just running, keeping my pace. And then at the next kind of point, there she is again. The kids are waving and everything. It's like, oh, it's great. And, and then I am just keep running. And a little bit unbeknownst to me, they're like taking off. And so we finally, I get to the end of the finish line. And there they are again. And I finish. And, and we're hugging them. And it's like, oh, thank you guys for it. This is great. And I'm excited and everything. And then Kim looks at me. and She goes, you have no idea what I've just been through. I'm like, I was good. You were there. I was running. I saw you. You saw me. She goes, no. She goes, they're shut everything down everywhere. She goes, I was trying to get to all the different places we mapped out. She said, I drove right through a drug deal. And then we got out of the car. There was a prostitute who was soliciting. And she's like, I'm trying to cover the kid's eyes. It's like, it's a nightmare. She goes, and I, but I was making it all those checkpoints. And I'm like, oh, thanks for doing that. I'm just running the race, just doing my thing, having no idea all the stuff that Kim and her kids are doing behind the scenes to make sure that they, I see them along the route. Same thing is true the way God works. You and I make this assumption, ah, oh, God's not around, but he shows up when we least expect him. Because behind the scenes, and obviously one of the biggest things that the Bible actually talks about, before you and I ever knew anything about Jesus, before we had a concept of God, Jesus died for our sins. He was already at work behind the scenes doing the most sacrificial thing that anyone can do, giving his life on our benefit or for our behalf, and we had no idea. And then guess what? He shows up with his presence in our life. God does that for us as we follow him. God does that for our church as we follow him forward. 
God is at work. God is present. And that is what encourages you and I to prepare for tomorrow is that we're not going any place that God won't be. He will already, already be present in our lives and through our church. And there's a fourth thing that you and I need to do to prepare for tomorrow, and that is, and this one can be difficult, is listen to God. So look at verses 9 through 13. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So just as before, they're, they're about to, to move forward. They're supposed to go through the Jordan River. Joshua says, listen. Listen to what I'm about to say. Listen to what the word of the Lord is to you right now because you need to understand these instructions because from what we can tell, estimates depending on, probably Israel at that point was at least a million people. So when Joshua says to them, listen, you need to listen to me, it's kind of important. Can you th- imagine a million people trying to cross a river? That's, you think it would take a lot of coordination, obviously. So he's saying you need to listen to what God is saying because you need to pre- be prepared for how this is going to go. Now you think, well, of course. I mean, God's led them there. They should listen. But sometimes listening to God is one of the most difficult things for you and I. Because either we think he's not speaking or we don't like what he's saying. And so we intentionally don't listen to him. See, the, the challenge is that, that in the process of moving forward and preparing for the future, God is always speaking. God is speaking right now to us. God is speaking in our lives. I've, through this season of consecration, I'm intentionally hitting the pause button at certain times during my week where I really can be alone with God without distractions from family, church, whatever else is going on, just to say, okay, just me and Jesus and listening. And I've already got a couple pages of notes and we're only 10 days in. Things that I know God is saying to me about my life that I'm just writing down. Like he's speaking, he's speaking. Why? Because I'm leaning in to listen. God, what are you saying? Because I knew probably about two, three weeks ago as we were heading to this, God said something to me. He said, this is a season for you to listen. Maybe he was saying, it's a time for you to shut up because you talk too much. And I do. Sometimes, even in my prayer life, I can be so focused on all the things I'm praying for, I forget the fact that God wants to speak. And I just need to be quiet. And I just need to listen. Now, the challenge is, is I think many of us say, well, I want to hear God. But usually what that means is I want to hear God fulfill the agenda that I have for him. I have, I have God's will for my life. And as I pray, he's supposed to make it come to pass then I know he's God. So what you and I listen for is not necessarily what he's saying. We're listening for what we want to hear. And when we don't hear it, we either pretend that we are or we get frustrated and say, God, you're not God because you're not doing what you're supposed to do, although he may be speaking. I think I've shared part of this journey as well before. When, when Kim and I and the kids made a transition to move to Oregon, that was a season of, of I mean, great transition in our lives and really wanting to hear what God was saying and listening and leaning in and saying, God, we fast and prayed and God, what are you doing? And, and so as we're kind of unfolding this process, getting counsel from different people, and one of, the, one of our leaders said, hey, you know, what you guys should consider is moving to Texas and planting a church. And at the time, we're like, okay, that sounds like it, that could be a strong possibility. And in fact, at the time, there wasn't a lot of Foursquare churches in the kind of the, the corridor that runs uh, Austin to San Antonio. And so, so we said, okay, well, let, let's take a step of faith. Let's go and, and go visit and see what God's saying. And so, so we booked a flight and connected with leaders and got hotels in both Austin and San Antonio. We had this whole thing mapped out. And we get there. And I remember getting out of the, the, the uh, airport in Austin and getting a rental car. And one thing I remember, it was hot really hot. But, but as soon as we got on the road, I'm like, man, Texas is great. I had been there as a kid and Kim too. And so you're like, you're kind of thinking about what you experienced before. And so as we're driving around, we, we're already seeing like the possibilities. When we were, we were in Austin, we went to a couple different suburbs. There's a place called Cedar Park and there's another place called Round Rock, which is the headquarters for Dell Computer. So we're driving around, you're just kind of, we're kind of envisioning what this would look like. 
And so as we're doing this for a couple days, and we went down to San Antonio, same thing. You're kind of envisioning what this would look like. And you're thinking, okay, this could happen. We're meeting with this church. We could partner here. And, and as we're going through this, Kim and I are talking and we're dialoguing. There's this tension inside of us. We can see the possibility, but deep down inside, there's like our hearts just won't land. It's like, the, it's like God won't release us to be here. And so it took three, we were there three days, and I remember sitting in the airport, Austin, completely frustrated because we, we saw the possibilities, like, God, this is good. And it's like God just wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't let us, like, just say, yeah, this is home. This is where you're supposed to be. So we got back to California, and we're processing through again. And, and so we're just thinking, well, you know, it can't be bad that we would go plant a church in Texas. And we feel like maybe that might be God, what God's saying. And so we just kind of plowed through. We started contacting Dell Computer, looking for secular jobs, try to, you know, just find out what housing's like. We're just taking the steps. And so we're going through this process, and we're praying the whole time. And about two to three weeks into the process, I, have a, I got a phone call with my dad. And, and my dad was been a great counselor in my life as well. And, and as, as we're talking through this, we had this conversation where he said to me, he said, I, I think you need, to take, you need to step back. I don't know if this is what God wants for you. I don't know if God wants you to move to Texas. And he started going through some different things. And I remember I got angry. And as an adult, I've, I can't remember. I think this is the only time I got angry at my dad as an adult. As a kid, it happened all the time, just like all of us. But I was like, how dare he get in the, in the way of the will of God for us? That was like my attitude. I know it's a little bit crazy. But I'm like, I get off the phone and I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe what my dad's saying. I mean, I don't think he's, he's missed the boat completely. You know, and so we're just keep plowing through. And then and maybe a few days later, we both, I was, I was at the office, I think of the church office there, and Kim was doing stuff. And that night we got home and we started comparing notes pretty much. Did God speak to you today? And we're like, yeah, we both were like, God said something. It's like, well, what did he say to you? Well, I know you go first. You know, what did he say? And so this is interesting what God said. And before I tell you that, there, there's something happened at the beginning of this process. The night before we went to Texas, I got a call from a friend in Newburgh, Oregon, who said, just want you to know that your name is on the list to be considered for this church. And uh, I want you to know that. And I gave him the Christian answer. We'll pray about it. I didn't pray at all about it. I'll be honest with you. Because we were already going to Texas. So we come home that night and we're comparing notes. And she's all, what did God say to you? And what, I said, what did God say to you? And God said the same thing. He said, I'm saying no to Texas because you haven't seriously considered Newburgh. And that was clear as day. Now this was after a, a period of fasting and praying and listening and all the while god was speaking it's not texas it's newburgh and we couldn't hear it and that process took a month why because i i wasn't hearing the agenda that i already laid out for god and if you and i will be willing to truly lean in and listen and joshua was saying to them listen this is going to be unfamiliar territory you don't know where you're going so you need to listen to the words of the lord because we're going to get a million people across this river and you're going to a place that you don't know about you need to listen because it may be different than you are assuming it to be and as we move forward as a church this is so key don't assume that we know exactly what things will be like and how church will look in the future I don't have a huge agenda, but I'm excited about the agenda that God's bringing forth in our church. But it may look different, and it will look different. But because we're listening to what God's saying to us and responding accordingly, which really leads to the next thing, which doesn't get any easier. Look at verses 14 through 16. Preparing for tomorrow means that we have to move forward in obedience. I think Christianity has one four-letter word, and it's the word obey because we don't like it. Because it usually means that I have to do something that I'm afraid of, that maybe I don't want to do, that may be difficult. So look at this story in verse 14. It says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried, carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan uh, is at flood stage during, uh, har- all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So just, just think about what's happening here. God's leading the people, and then the priests have to go out ahead of time, and God's saying, this is the way it's going to unfold, and Basically, in a nutshell, what he's saying is, in the process, you need to be obedient because somebody's going to get wet. 
Now, remember this, their history. They remember their history really well. You go back to the Red Sea when God parted the Red Sea for Israel to cross. Do you remember anybody getting wet in that story? Uh-uh. They went on dry ground, all of them. But, but God says here, when the priest's feet touched the edge of the water, which means they had to put their feet in the water, then the river will stop. They had to obediently think. Just think about this for a moment. It's at flood stage. This had to have crossed their mind. What if we take one step in and the water still flows? What if we take two steps in and the water still flows? What if we keep going and we're in overhead and the water's still flowing? We'll be dead. That had to have crossed their mind. But what was their choice? To be obedient to do what God told them to do. Thank God for the obedience of the priest that went ahead and did what God told them to do. Because if they would have gone back and said, oh, we got this one down. We remember the Red Sea. Right? Joshua's going to stand like Moses and kind of like in the movie The Ten Commandments and spread his hands and the sea will part, right? They, they had that movie too, right? And, and so they'll stand there and that's not how it worked. And so they had to be obedient to what God was saying to them, which for you and I means that we have to be willing to be obedient to do what Jesus has called us to do, what he's instructing to us to do in our personal life, what he's calling us to be as a church. And the challenge that you and I have is that most of us don't stand up in the face of God and say, I refuse, I won't do this. We live somewhere in the middle of obedience and disobedience. Most of us don't outright rebel against God. Some of us do, but for the majority, we stay in this limbo between, yeah, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, and I really don't want to be disobedient, but boy, that's scary. That's difficult. I'm unsure about that. I don't really feel clear about that. I don't know. And so we're kind of back and forth and back and forth. And so we end up living our life in limbo, never fully obeying what we know is true to be, to be true about our life that God's calling us to, never being obedient, obedient truly to his commands or what he's saying about a season of our life. We kind of end up in the middle. And that's the worst place to be. You know, I was thinking about this, and it reminds me there, there's a golfer named Sergio Garcia. If you're golf fans, you'll know who he is. If not, let me explain to you who he is. He's obviously a, a Spanish golfer, and he's pretty good. He's not the best, but he's pretty good. But a number of years ago, he became known for something that wasn't very good. And that is, when, when, if you've watched golf, you watch women's golf or men's golf, when, when a golfer is about to hit the, the ball, they, they, call this their, they come up and they address the ball. They don't go up and talk to the ball. They, they actually go up and they position themselves when they're going to hit, so they're addressing the ball. Like, they're aiming themselves, they're getting their grip right, they're getting their stance right. And it takes, you know, for most average golfers, I don't know, maybe three, four seconds, maybe five seconds, and then they swing. Now, a few years ago, Sergio got something stuck in his brain where he couldn't do that. And it would take sometimes up to three minutes for him to actually swing. Because he would get up to the ball, and then he would adjust and regrip and regrip and regrip and regrip 24 times. If I, I remember watching it. I'm thinking, if I'm standing there and playing with him, that's got to be so frustrating. Just hit the stinking ball. And then especially when he'd hit it and he'd slice it or he'd hook it, it's like, really? All the regripping really helped you, didn't it, Sergio? And it's frustrating. In fact, when you play in a tournament like that, if you're slow in, in the way that you're playing and they tell you to pick up the place, they'll put you on the clock and then you'll get penalized if you don't keep up the pace. And he just kept doing it. Why? And they asked him, why are you doing it? He goes, because I just don't feel comfortable. Something's not right in my grip. Something's not right in my stance. So I, I have to keep doing that. And it really ended up being more up here than anywhere else. But he just because, it, and so what it was, he was in between. He was indecisive. He was about to swing, but he wasn't going to swing because he didn't feel comfortable, but he wasn't backing away from the ball, and he was stuck in the middle. And I think sometimes that describes our faith, that we know what God wants us to be obedient to. God told them the priests are going to have to put their feet in the water, and as soon as their feet touch the water, that's when it's going to happen. And for, God, for us, so many of us, God has said, this is what you're supposed to do in your life. This is the point of obedience. And you're like, I don't know. Because when you and I end up in that middle ground, you know where we ultimately end up? Over on the side of disobedience. And when we're disobedient, not only is it wrong and sinful, but when we're disobedient is when we miss what God wants to do in our life. We completely miss it. Israel missed it 40 years before. Why? Because of disobedience. Now they're there again, and they have this opportunity to enter in. And then there's a final thing final thing that you and I need to do to be prepared for tomorrow, and that is ultimately trust that God is faithful. 
Trust that he's faithful, which means God will do what he said he's going to do. God will be faithful to the promise he makes in our life. God will accomplish his purpose in our life, even when you and I are in transition, in difficulty, sometimes in darkness, in confusion, God is always faithful. And for many of us, that's the only thing that will ever get you through to tomorrow, is to believe in the midst of darkness that God will bring light. In the midst of pain that God will bring healing. In the midst of brokenness that God will bring wholeness. You have to trust. Look at what happens for Israel. Verse 17, it says, Then the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now again, go back to the story. They know their history. They know that when the Red Sea got parted, everybody got to go by on dry land. They get in. They have to touch the water. And then not only do they touch the water, they are standing in the middle of what just moments before was a river at flood stage maybe overflowing its banks. And now they have to go and stand there while an estimated million people pass through the Jordan to get to the other side. Think about the fact that you're now standing in something that was probably over your head, probably in a moment could kill you. There had to be a moment where they're standing there thinking, how long is this water going to hold up? You people are moving way too slow for me right now. Would you hurry up? I'm the one standing in the middle. You're getting to move through. But they stood there. Why? Because the priests were convinced when they obeyed God by setting their foot in the water that he would hold up the water and by standing that he would be faithful to keep the water from overwhelming them. That's the belief that God is faithful. That's the belief that you and I will take stands in our life that even though we're in the midst of what could be something that will blow our lives away, God still says, I'm faithful. I'm faithful in your life. I'm faithful to fulfill the promise. God was faithful to Israel. Even though they were unfaithful, God was still faithful. After 40 years, he brought them back again and said, I'm going to bring you into the land. But you need to trust that I'm faithful. Because the Jordan wasn't their greatest battle. It wasn't the most scary thing at all. They had a lot more ahead of them that they had to trust. God would be faithful in everything that he was doing. For you and I, we have to trust in our future that God is faithful. He's faithful to us as a church. He's faithful to us as followers of Jesus, that he will do what he said he will do. And sometimes that is the one thing that you have to hang on to because everything else around you tells you something different. But trusting that God is faithful. I'm going to ask John and Denise Looney if they would come and join me. Would you say good morning to them or good afternoon to them? I asked uh, John and Denise to come and briefly share. So just to kind of give you a background, most of you know John and Denise, and they've been a part of the church for a long time and in various capacities, and John's currently our associate pastor. Uh, but uh, John and Denise walked through a very difficult time about a little over two years ago in their relationship. And, and over the last two years, God has been restoring and healing and reconciling their relationship. But as they've walked through that, I know that at each point there had to be this commitment not only to them, to each other, about them working on being committed to the process of reconciliation, but knowing that through this whole process that God was faithful to restore a broken relationship. And there's moments as they would journey through that they would have to be reminded of that, that God is faithful and he will get us to where he wants us to be. So I asked if they would kind of kind of pull back the curtain just a little bit in the journey to kind of give us a glimpse of maybe some of those moments where they had to trust in God's faithfulness, knowing that even though it's difficult, even though it's dark, God's still faithful in our lives. So guys, would you share just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this, two years ago, uh, we stood on this, this stage together. It was the last time we've been on stage together. And Den- that, that was for Denise to share a very public confession of sin. And in the last two years, God has... Uh, brought us through a process of restoration. And here we are two years later standing here with a healthy marriage and, and able to praise God together for what he's done. But as, as you said, John, there's, um, there's points along the way where, where you have to choose that, where you have to choose to be obedient, trusting that God is doing something for your future and he's doing it now, but it requires that step. And there's been a lot of steps along the way. You know, the, uh, us being able to stand here isn't some just magical process that happens. It's two people deciding to take those steps together. And we've, we've had a, a number of those choices to make together. Denise, what, you want to share one of those for you? Yeah, um, one of those points for me, <clears throat> it was obviously a very public thing, getting up and 
confessing my sin in front of everyone here and um, and then and my husband and and just coming back the next week I did come back the next week and I was encouraged by John and Kim actually both of us were to to stay here and they were like you don't have to stay but but we want you to and we want you to to heal and um, walk through this authentically with people and um, that was a decision I had to make it wasn't easy always coming to church and seeing everybody's faces and um, seeing the people that I've hurt and um, that you know that's hard (laughs) but I made a commitment to God and I knew that like even when it was hard that um, that he was going to see me through it and um, it's been an amazing process and I just thank everyone here for for surrounding us and being family to us and um, accepting us and, and helping us to heal because that choice of knowing that, that I had to face it and that God was going to bring me through it um, and having people around me and healing in this environment, I think, is part of us being able to stand here today. Definitely. You know, one of those steps for me also was uh, certainly early on, it was trusting God that he could even restore from ashes our relationship. But but beyond our relationship and our marriage, um, one of those steps for me was trusting God to move into having a family together. And that he, um, he had a future, not only was he working on us, but he was working on a future for us, for a family. And that was really a, a dream that we've had for a long time. And um, so we took the, the step of faith to step into fostering. And uh, we've had Isaiah for um, almost nine months now. And uh, we think that it's moving towards adoption. It's not there yet, but we, we uh, are anticipating it going there. And, um, and so it's just been amazing, uh, a journey of watching God um, fulfill those things uh, because uh, we were willing to, to take some of those steps. And it continues. It's difficult. Um, but you take those, you keep taking those steps. Yeah, and one of the steps for me that was kind of a, a true like walking into the water while it was a flood, was um, preparing, as we were going through the process of fostering um, and getting approved to foster, I was, I've I've had pain for years and years, like physical pain, and I didn't know what it was, and I went to tons of doctors, tried all different kinds of medicine, and and nothing really ever worked, and it got extremely bad, Um, maybe, I don't know, six months or a year before we actually did get approved to get Isaiah, and um, I just kept praying and praying every day. It was so hard. I thought I was going to have to go on disability at work, and I just asked God, like, what is going on? It was one of the darkest times, like, even even darker, probably, than going through all of the stuff that we went through. For me, it was really hard because I felt like God had promised us this promise of family, and I could see it, but it felt like it was so out of reach because I didn't know how I was going to be able to care for a child in the pain I was in. And it just, you know, God just challenged me daily to trust him and to, to keep moving forward and to keep getting up every morning and going to work and to go to our training classes and um, really, I, I mean, I'm able now to do it. I, it. I ended up getting a promotion where I, um, I, like right, like a week before we got Isaiah, where I sit a lot more and I started taking a medication that actually did work. And all of that happened like right before we got Isaiah. And I, I just know that was God's grace and, and part of that. And, and, you know, I had to trust before that happened that um, that I was going to be able to do what God was calling me to do. Thank you, guys. Would you say thank you to John and Denise, Sharon? You guys. Many of you have, have obviously are close with John and Denise and, and uh, have, have been just aware of their journey and, and things have gone on. But Kim and I have been able over the last two years or so, or so been close walking through things with them and seeing what's happening in their journey together. And I can tell you it's amazing to think about two years ago around this time sitting down with, with John and Denise in their living room and having watching Denise um, confess to John what had happened. And, and watching the brokenness in both of them and, and, and walking away from that, just feeling that sense of heaviness and brokenness and darkness. And now to see this today, this is a miracle. This is God's faithfulness. And as we close today, I'm going to pray in a moment. I want, I want you to, to take 
there's some things that we, I mentioned last week too. When we come to the kind of the end of our Sunday and we go into the rest of our week, especially in the season of consecration, there's some things that we need to kind of dial in and focus in on about what God is saying to us, especially if you carve out some time this week where you're listening to what God is saying. And there may be some areas of your life where maybe you feel like, is God really faithful? Maybe, is there really going to ever be any change in this area of my life? This has been a part of who I am, or this has been something that's happened to me, or this is a point of failure in my life that seems like it's attached itself. Can it ever be different? Is God really going to come through? Is he really going to heal me? Is he really going to, to, to tra- transform me? Is he really going to change me? Is any of this really going to happen? Or am I just going to be the same person at a different address? I want to pray for that this morning because I'm convinced that God is bigger than our doubts. God is more powerful than our frailties in our humanity. God is greater than our sin. And God wants to bring about more and more stories of what John and Denise have walked through and what others are walking through. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know I'm going to ask you right now, just close your eyes because I want you to just focus your attention on what God is saying to you right now. That as we walk through the, this, this journey, there, there's, there's this preparation time that God wants us to take full advantage of. Because he's taking us and leading us in a place that we have yet to go. It's unfamiliar to us. He's calling us and requiring us to be obedient and to trust him. And so that means there are areas of of your life that God is calling you to, to turn over as a point of obedience, as a point of trust, that as he moves you forward, that he will fulfill someday in the future what he's promising to you right now in the middle of your brokenness or your darkness or your pain or your confusion. And so right now where you're at, I don't know what your journey looks like. I don't know the things that challenge you. I don't know what you're walking through, but I am so convinced that God's Spirit knows exactly what you're walking through. And because of that, right now, God is wanting you to begin to live your life with this idea and this belief and this confidence that He truly is faithful, that He is at work in your life, that no matter how bleak or how dark or how difficult it is right now, God can redeem, God can restore, God can reconcile. Maybe it's a broken marriage that you're, you're, you feel like it's over. Maybe it's a, a habitual sin or addiction that has attached itself to you and you feel you're bound and you're stuck and you're living in secrecy because you don't want people to know and God is saying, I want to bring freedom. I want to bring you to a place where I'm faithful to bring freedom from that thing in your life. Maybe it's a physical struggle that you've had for years that, that you're, you're wanting to see God bring healing, that you would pray and contend for that, that, that God would bring that about. Whatever it is, we, we, we need to walk into our future together convinced God is trustworthy, God is faithful, God will fulfill what he's promised to do. So Lord Jesus, today we, we thank you for the journey that you have us on. We thank you for the season of preparation, the consecration where we're setting ourselves apart because we know that you're, you're doing now and you are wanting to even do more later in terms of amazing things among us. So Lord, as you have our attention, I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would respond obediently, that we would live in the confidence that you are God and you are faithful. And just as you told the priest to step into the water and then you would come through and to stand there as though guardians, as those walk through in front of them, that you would give us the obedience and the faith to believe that you will accomplish what you've promised to do in our lives. We thank you that you are faithful. Now give us the courage and strength and ability to be faithful to you in all that you're doing. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.